Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very, 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 I'm going to say very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. I am really excited about today's episode. Uh, I'm honored to interview uh, someone who is very special to me uh, over the years for quite a while now. I've been reading her work and her book, and you've probably been inspired by her work as well. Uh, one of my favorite books of hers, Finding Your Own North Star, uh, legendary book in my world. Uh, <laughs> but she has a new book, and she has been on Soul Talk before. I've interviewed her before. I know you we got such great feedback from you that when uh-huh. I found out she had a new book, I thought we have to have her back. And she's, uh-huh. you know, full of heart, full of, shall we say, authenticity and kind of inspired by her new book, Integrity, uh, her new book, The Way of Integrity, life coach, speaker, uh, legend. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the amazing Martha Beck. Welcome to Soto. Oh, Martha, you, you're, you're, you're a legend in my eyes. Oh, I just, I, this is the perfect time for like a tree to crash through the window and swoosh me because I've just been like <laughs> praised to the maximum. Thank you. You so happy to be here. I love talking to you. And, and I think your audience is wonderful. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking time. Uh, you know, you were on before, so we won't go into some details, but I just want to jump into like integrity and your new book and okay. some themes and just maximize our time together, you know, and um, wonderful. How did this new book come about? You've written quite a few books. So I'm always right. curious about, you know, the, the formation, the vision. Did something happen? Was there an event? Was there a moment? Was there an epiphany? So how did the new book about integrity come about? But also, what does integrity actually mean? Because right. what I think integrity means might be different from what, how kind of how you're, 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 you're sharing. Right. So, so let's, let's start yeah. there. Well, as you know, I've written a lot of books and some of them were about, I have a strong basis in social science. I have a doctorate in sociology. So I was trying to be sort of scientific at the beginning of my career. But then when people started doing things that felt good to them, which is literally the only thing I've ever said, it's like, if something feels good, maybe do that. If it doesn't, maybe not. And people keep paying me to say that. (laughs) But um, what happens if you follow that? closely enough is that your life becomes very magical and miraculous things start happening. And then the the new age manifestation thing is like, it it happens so frequently and strongly that it's hard to deny it. So my career sort of took me in that direction and people were all around saying, oh, everything's a miracle. Everything's magic. And I started to think, wait, no, I need to get my head clear. I want to go back to just the truth. This is not about having magical unicorns leaping over rainbows everywhere. Like, I just want to get back to the truth of what I can observe. And so I went on something I call an integrity cleanse, which is where everything you do has to be completely authentic and honest in so far as you can make it that way. I've been doing them periodically since I was 29, but this was a big one. And what happened was that I got very calm. Um, and I got very happy. And then the miraculous, magical things escalated to the point where it was just, I, it just blew my mind all over again. And so I, I realized that all the ancient wisdom traditions that say the truth will set you free, they were really onto something. Could you, and, could you, before you continue, could you clarify what an integrity cleanse actually looks like? 
Yes. Because okay. I know people might be like wondering, well, tell the truth all the time to everyone, every moment. Ah! But, uh, it's uh, it's scary. So well, what is that? What is that? What is that in reality? Okay, great question. So integrity simply means intact. That's the meaning of the Latin word integer, like a whole number. It doesn't mean that you're being super righteous in some religious or moral sense. It just means that you're whole, undivided. That was another title I I considered for the book was Undivided. Because if you get to be your whole self, your true self, you're born with all the equipment to do that. And then even before you can talk, you're pressured by the people around you to maybe change your actions a little bit, maybe cry less, maybe smile more, you know. So literally before you can talk, your nature runs into the culture, which says we want to shape you in some way. And all of us at some point sell out our true nature to follow culture, just to get along with the people we're around. And as soon as we're divided between our natural selves and our cultural selves, we are not one thing, integrity, we're two things, duplicity. Integrity means coming back together, um, refusing to betray yourself at all. And yet for me, that meant telling the truth. But I also think, for example, if you're in a crazy system, if I'd been in Nazi Germany, I would have lied and hid Jews in the basement. I hope I would have been brave enough to do that. And I would have lied to the SS about it, right? right. So right. if you're in a crazy culture, it doesn't mean you tell the truth all the time to everybody who could potentially hurt you. Mm. It means that you're true to yourself. Mm. You refuse to abandon yourself. And as much as you can without abandoning yourself, you are your true self in all circumstances with all people. So you do start telling the truth, like, do I want, do I want to go to the movies tonight? Nope. <laughs> you know? And your friends may not like that, but that is some place where if you abandon yourself to, you know, bow to cultural pressure, you lose yourself. You lose yourself profoundly for the slightest reasons. Yeah. So an integrity cleanse is getting yourself back. So you went on this integrity cleanse, mm-hmm. uh, like, like, how, how, I guess, how long is it? And then what kind of things did you start seeing happen? All right. So the first time I did an in- integrity cleanse, I did it badly. I was 29 <laughs> and I decided that I simply would not tell even one lie for an entire cal- uh, calendar year. Ooh. And um, <laughs> during that year, I either lost or walked away from uh, my religion, my family of origin, my uh, industry, academia, my job. My house, my, the place, the area where I lived, my marriage, like literally everything went into the fire except for the truth. Wow. And weirdly at 29, that was the first time I started uh, coming out of depression, anxiety and chronic illness. Because if you abandon yourself, bad things start to happen. First, you don't feel good emotionally. Then you start to feel bad physically and then everything starts to fall apart. Now, I would not advise that. It was very intense. (laughs) But what you could do, and what I did in this last integrity cleanse, was I just started paying more attention. Before I would say anything to anyone, I would go inside and think, what is my truth? Mm. And I get really quiet with that. So I ended up spending a lot more time in quiet contemplation. I ended up saying to a lot more people, let me get back to you on that. I ended up changing the amount of time I spent doing things I loved versus things that felt obligatory. I just spent more and more time with the people I love and the places I love doing the things I love. And what happened was a complete, like my little company that I had just kind of exploded and rebranded and people came from to, to work for me that wanted to, but hadn't felt like approaching me. And suddenly it just, the whole thing felt so sweet. There was so much friendship in it. And then people would come and and join in the seminars we ran and everything and say, I just felt the pull of something really joyful. So the joy went through the ceiling. People were connecting all over the world. People I knew only slightly or I'd read their work would call me out of the blue just to say, I wanted to get in touch with you. Mm. Everything in my life got better. So, and I think that happens to anyone who's, who decides well, to honor their integrity. Is, is there, I guess maybe there's not a reason, but is there a, 
reason that happens that you've observed, like scientific oh, yeah. reason, energetic reason, just for people might be, that might be wondering, how, how the hell does that even occur, you know? Right. Um, so first, let me describe to you how I know uh, I'm in integrity. And I call it your sense of truth or the chime of truth or the click mm. of truth. We, de- we have different words, but it's when your, your heart, your mind, your body, and your soul all say yes at the same moment. So I've tried different uh, things that have uh, to work on different people all around the world. And the one thing that I've found that puts people in alignment like that more than anything else is this statement. I am meant to live in peace. Mm. And if you say that, all your listeners out there, if you just say, you don't even have to believe it. Just say in your mind a few times, I'm meant to live in peace. I'm meant to live in peace. And this quiet comes over you and a sense of everything lining up and there's no obstruction and it's there's an openness and a spaciousness that is the true self aligning with the truth of reality so we go through our lives thinking oh i'm meant to live in struggle i'm meant to live to serve others i'm whatever it is and if it's wrong we're not aligned with objective reality outside our minds our minds and reality are at war with one another when you line up and everything feels clear and spacious like that reality connects with you throughout the entire universe. I'm convinced of it. And the reason it does is because it's real. You finally brought your mind to reality. And reality is, in fact, far more magical than our secular culture wants to believe. We really, we really are all energy connecting to each other. There's no separation between us except for what we, uh, the apparent physical separation, which it's, it's an illusion. Everything's just energy. So when you align like that with anything, boom, reality moves with you. And the things that you think and the things that you want, they just come. It's incredible. It works. Um, in terms of integrity, in terms of knowing when your integrity you talked about the lining up, mm-hmm. can you share a bit more for so, someone that might be wondering, but I just, because there's many times where we thought that what we wanted was what we wanted and we thought right. what we felt was what we felt. And so yeah. in those moments when what we feel feels so real, like yeah. I, I got to have that, you know, I, right. I have to have that drug or I got to be with that person. Right. or and it, and it feels, it really feels real in the moment. Yeah. I guess, how does someone distinguish that it's not so real and, mm-hmm. and when there's an impulse yeah. that feels so strong, that's overwhelming, what does someone do then? So it's kind of a two-part question. Okay, so the first thing is there's a difference between what you want. And I talk about the things that culture makes us want, like advertising makes us want things, right? <laughs> right. And there, it can be almost this craving. And that has a certain the signature feeling in the body. It's of of discomfort and restlessness and urgency and all these different feelings. They're not, they can be excited and exciting, but they're not peaceful. When you are asleep at night and you wake up in the dark of the night and you're wide awake suddenly and you ask yourself, what do I yearn for? What do I yearn for in my heart of hearts? What is it? So if you were to answer that question, what would your answer be? What do I yearn for? Yeah. I mean, there's always, there's always been a deep yearning to, to contribute, to make a difference, you know, to, to yeah. love, you know, to love, yeah. to express love, to share love. I mean, that's when I feel most, most alive. And everyone wants something like that when they're yearning in the dark of the night. The, so that peace, service, love, freedom, um, a sense of belonging. These are the things we yearn for and they can't be bought with money. And those are the, are the cravings of our true selves. Everything that we think we want in the daylight that makes us feel manic or ah, those things tend to fail us. We, we get them. And I, I wrote about this, this guy I knew who made $400 million in a single day because his company, <laughs> yeah. He sold his company and he had this huge party and he called me from this penthouse apartment with a band in the background. It was deafening. People were cheering and he was screaming into the phone at three in the morning. It's not enough. When is it going to be enough? And, you know, when we talked about it, 
his greatest joys came when he was hiking as a teenager, just walking. But his whole life was obsessed with the craving for the things the culture says we were supposed to need. What happens then is we steer away from the things we truly yearn for. Mm. And when we come home, when we come home to peace, we're meant to live in peace. Here's what I believe. I believe everything you've ever prayed for or asked the universe for since you were born uh, was given to you immediately. The answer was yes, and it was immediately sent to you. But it was sent to your home address, your real home address, which is peace. Mm. And if you are not in peace, you can't get your stuff because that's where it is waiting for you. So you line up all these desires. This is what happened to me. You line up all these desires for all kinds of things. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to be in Africa with wild animals. I wanted all kinds of experiences. And then I just went to peace and they just started coming to me. Like I could, I didn't have to do anything to make it happen. And so I came out with more of a magical worldview than I've ever had before. But there's a really important proviso. And that is that you have to be willing to walk away from what your culture says you should be and become what you truly are. And that may be a big one. That's a big one. Could you say, could you say that again? Because that is huge. You have to be willing. Yeah. Everything you ever wanted is there for you, but you have to be willing to walk away from everything the culture says you should be mm. to become what you truly are. Mm. So it integrity, complete integrity will bring you everything you've ever wanted, like in heaps, pressed down, shaken together and running over everything you want, but it will cost you everything else. Mm. Everything yucky has to go. <laughs> has to go. Like, like we could not, what about it? Can we just hold no, on to it? No. <laughs> just, just one thing. No! <laughs> I just want my rubber ducky. No! So, so, so you're saying, because that sounds pretty radical. It is radical. So like everything has to go. Well, you know. And, does, and, does, it, and does it have to be like all at one time? Like, oh shit, I see my entire life. It's all a lie. It all has to go at once. It, or, or, or can it happen in stages? You know, like let's say someone yeah. is like, I'm in the wrong relationship, I'm in the wrong job, you know, living in the wrong place. Like, how do they start? Right. So I did it the hard way at 29. <laughs> Bang! And then I spent, you know, a couple of decades refining my technique. And now <laughs> what I would suggest and what I walk people through in this book is just a very gentle, very gradual uh, I called it a series of one degree turns. Like if you're steering an airplane 10,000 miles and every half hour you turn one degree to the north, you won't even notice the turn, but you'll arrive at a very, very different spa- uh, different destination, right? So you make a one degree turn every so often, you know, if you want to do it every day or every week or whatever, as long as you keep doing it and you maintain course, mm. you will end up where you want to be and everything you want will meet you there. And you will not have really noticed the change very much. So it doesn't have to be all at one time. No, it it can. And I believe it should be very gradual. In fact, the research on change shows that very few people successfully make a massive change all at once. Mm -hmm. I did it because I was in incredible pain, um, psychological and physical pain. Uh, And that can cause people to make an abrupt shift shift all at once. But what I would prefer you do is make tiny changes gradually so that you get happier and happier and happier. And there's never a huge, like massive disruption in your life. Mm. And that absolutely can happen. Got it. Got it. You know, you triggered a, a, a thought or a question that maybe some folks might be asking themselves. Integrity, you're talking about how important it is. Mm. I, I'm, you know, I'm all, I, I'm all in. Uh, but it, it sometimes seems that in our world today, there are people that create massive success. Yeah. That obviously I don't know them in their real lives, but we just look at them and make kind of, you know, interpretations, yeah. assumptions, judgments that, I mean, really clearly don't seem to be an in integrity. Yeah. You know, whether it's yeah. president, presidents and politicians and naming you know, no names, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, musicians and, and, yeah. and celebrities and like they don't live in integrity and yet they've achieved Martha like massive mega success. Success. Yeah. And 
it doesn't seem fair. And so maybe there's a group of folks that are going, that's not fair. I live in integrity and they don't, and they've surpassed, they've, you know, enhanced their career. So, and, and you know, you might, you might say, well, they're not happy, but you know, some of these folks seem to be happy. I mean, maybe they they're, they're ignorant. They actually seem to be happy. They're not going, oh, I'm not happy. They love their billion dollars. They love their $500 million. So right. what's, what's the, going on here? What's the yeah. deal? What, what's the point? What's the deal? You know? Exactly. So, um, one thing I will say is though they might be expect, experiencing a lot of pleasure. The things we yearn for in the night, peace, love, hope, belonging. I can tell you most of the people I've worked with who are at that very, very high level never, never experience those things. They are the most hungry and it, it drives them to this tremendous apparent success, but the hunger never gets better. So I, I'll say that, but you make an excellent point. One of the weird things that happened when I set out to write this book was I thought, and I don't remember deciding to do this. I just thought, I will base this on Dante's Divine Comedy. And then I was like halfway through the book before I thought, why did I do that? Because <laughs> um, it's kind of an obscure poem. But it actually is. Dante was an absolute genius. And what he did was make a, a metaphorical roadmap from the place where most of us feel lost in our lives all the way to genuine happiness. And he starts out in something called the dark wood of error. And he says, in the middle of my life, I just sort of came to, and I was in this kind of horrible place and I didn't know how I got there and I didn't know how to go out and get out. And he sees a mountain in this dark wood of error, which is a metaphor for the confusion we get to in the middle of our lives. We're like, wait, this, this isn't what I wanted. He sees this mountain and he calls it Mount Delectable and it's glowing and shiny. And a lot of the people in the dark woods are managing to climb it. And they get up there and it looks all beautiful. And he tries to climb it, but he's so tired. And all these beasts, you know, lions and wolves, they, they chase him around and he just can't get up the mountain. And then he runs into a teacher. Um, and it's the poet Virgil. And Virgil says to him, oh, for you, it doesn't go that way. For you, you are meant for paradise, not just for the golden mountain. And if you want to get to paradise, which is a lot happier than the golden mountain, you have to go through hell first. And um, he's like, all right. And they, that's what they do. And people write a lot and read the inferno part uh, where Dante goes through hell, which is a metaphor for therapy. But they don't talk about the other parts where you begin to walk your talk and you become strong. And that's the purgatorial. And then finally, Dante reaches this place where his happiness, his joy, his sense of belonging and peace exceed everything. And he looks down as he's going higher and higher through paradise, and he sees the little earth with its little golden mountain. Mm -hmm. And he said, I saw it was just a little threshing floor that so incites our savagery. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is, is these people savagely trying to make it to the top of a mountain that's really hard to get up. And once you get up there, you just get weak and fall back down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, that was a long answer, but it was a brilliant question. So I hope it helped. Mm, got it. So what about the fear that might arise from mm. knowing, uh-oh, I'm out of integrity. I need, I need to let something go, relationship, a job, something. Oh, yeah. Fear often, sometimes we know where we're out of integrity. We're not even unconscious. We know. Oh, we I feel it. We suppress it. We drink it away, smoke it away, work it away. And yeah. so... How can someone deal with the fear that arises in, in terms of the change they know they need to make? I would say just wait until the suffering is intolerable. <laughs> <laughs> there are six things that people tell me when they, they come to be coached that are driving them to seek change. The first is a sense of no, having no purpose. What you said, waking in the night and wanting to be of service. They don't have a sense of meaning. So why even be alive, right? Then there's, they get depressed or anxious. They have bad moods. Then their physical health starts to go. And these are people who know, you know, I'm in the wrong relationship. I'm in the wrong job, but I don't want to leave. Then, um, they they start breaking down their relationships. Those start falling apart. Then their careers start to fall apart. They self-sabotage because the career they've chosen is wrong for them. And then finally they'll, they'll turn to addiction, a uh, substance that they get addicted to. Opioids are very big right now. 
um, alcohol, whatever. And all of that will happen before they'll decide it's time to change. But the good news is it gets worse and worse and worse. The pain doesn't stay the same. It gets really bad until you hit the breaking point. And that's where you say, you know what? I'm willing to give all this up in exchange for peace, joy, love, belonging, and a sense of meaning. And then it's not so hard. Or if you don't want to suffer horribly, you can yeah. just, I mean, my motto in life now is cave early. <laughs> like the moment something hurts me, oh, okay, I'm done. Yeah. So we could use the pain, right? We could use the pain. Yes. We could use the suffering. We could like, don't, don't even deny it. Just feel it, use it and let that move you through. Make it bigger. Let it go. Like, yeah, I often say that if you're suffering, let it get bigger. What is it telling you to do? And it always turns out to be a friend. Mm. It always is saying, I'm here to wake you up. I'm here to send you to paradise. Don't worry. Everything's okay. So paradoxically, it's the scariest thing you can do. But once all those horrible things happen, they turn out to be the best things that ever happened to us. Because it it sets us free for paradise. And we didn't even know how wonderful that was going to be. Got it. I love it. I wasn't expecting you to say that at all. <laughs> Feel the <laughs> suffering. Let it burn. Yeah. Let it burn. Absolutely. Uh, more, uh, more. More, more. Um, for the person who they don't know they're out of integrity. Yeah. What about that person? Like, my Martha, my life is my life is fine. Everything yeah. is fine. My relationship is fine. Everything is good. It's fine. The word fine is such a key here. They say, fine, it's fine, it's fine. That means it's not so fine. But they don't know it. And the reason is they've been sort of culturally hypnotized into thinking that what they've got is what they need. And mm. the reason Dante is wrote his poem was not that he was being tortured. It was that just that it was sort of murky and foggy and it wasn't great. And he didn't love it. And he couldn't really see what to do next. And that's what we feel when we haven't gone in for huge duplicity. We just have, we've betrayed ourselves just a little bit. And it's like, okay, Mm. all right. Got all the things that culture said I should, should make me happy. I guess I'm happy. But if you're not full of joy overflowing every day, I guarantee you can feel better. (laughs) First feel worse. And then do what the worst tells you to do. And then you'll feel so much better. Beautiful. So joy can be uh, really a compass that you're, you're moving in that right direction. Yeah. I mean, this is why when I was, I had to decide whether or not to terminate my pregnancy with my son with Down syndrome. Um, and it was very late and I'm very pro-choice, but um, it was a, it was a hard decision. And what I kept thinking, people at Har- at Harvard around me kept saying, he can never achieve, he'll never be successful. And I thought, well, is successful what I want out of life? Like, what is, what is worth success? coming yeah. to earth to experience mm-hmm. as a human? Mm-hmm. And the answer I came to was joy. That joy is its own excuse for being. I don't need anything to back that up. And I thought, okay, this person, I people with Down syndrome can experience joy. All right, then. And at the same moment, I threw away that academic lifestyle where intellect was everything. And I began to live as if joy were my Mm -hmm. only reason for being here. That's where I, shortly after that, went on my first integrity cleanse and burned everything down. Mm -hmm. Because it became so clear to me that nothing but joy is worth having. And it's working. (laughs) Nothing. That's the deep moment. That's a deep statement. Nothing but joy is worth having. Wow. Yeah. If it doesn't, as, as Mariko, or who, Mariko Kondo says, if it doesn't spark joy, then why do you own it? If it doesn't spark, spark joy, why are you doing it? But like, that's yeah. interesting. Like, like, let's say um, an athlete or, or, you know, on the pathway to following a dream. Yeah. So yeah. Fulfilling a dream maybe there's some things that won't be so joyful that we need to do. Like uh, to sit yourself down, go to the gym, sit yourself down, write the book. I mean, for instance, 
I don't really enjoy writing that much. I, really? I'll, be, I'll be honest, Mark, but it doesn't spark joy, okay? Sitting down, it doesn't, it doesn't spark joy, um, but, the, but there is a joy of the feeling of knowing how people are going to feel when yeah. they read it. That sparks joy, but sitting down, uh, it's just, it, it's, 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 it's difficult. I'd just rather speak it out. And so sure. I, found, I found ways to write that I don't just have to sit down, but I wish I could just click my finger, the book was out, and then people were experiencing it. And so, but, but when, when you say that, you know, you look at Gandhi or mm. <clears throat> Man- Mandela, 28 years in prison. I don't know if that was joyful. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, uh, Gandhi protesting Martin Luther King. Like, that maybe wasn't joyful, but they did it. So are there not some things we need to do that, that aren't joyful to... Oh. So you if know, you look at the, yeah, if you look at suffering that seems to be inflicted upon people, like um, what Mandela and Gandhi were experiencing, or anyone you would know this, anyone of color experiencing racism in this horribly racist world, mm. there's a lot of suffering to go through. What I think happened with Gandhi and Mandela is they were in such difficult circumstances that they were forced to go in so deeply to find truth in themselves so that they could stand up to this massive monolithic because really racism is worldwide and it's uh, it's supported by every like socioeconomic system and it's like one of the great evils of our age and they had to go inward deeply enough to find the light that was as bright or brighter than that darkness and so it was a journey to joy i believe and joy is different from pleasure so for those of us who are just trying to achieve like an athlete or whatever, or, or sitting down to write, I was very conscious of that when I wrote this book, because I always hated writing. I liked having written, but I hated yes. writing. So I was like, it, can I do this and be in my integrity? And I thought, if I say exactly what I mean to the people I love, and I hold in my mind my vision of what it could do for even one person, suddenly I was flooded with joy. And every day I called it sacred writing time. I'd march to my room and I would sit down and do this thing that I had always hated. And I was in a kind of trance of joy almost. It became intoxicating. And that's what happens when you bring, and I love the way you're changing the writing so that it's more enjoyable to you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you shift things around, but purify what you're doing to the the essence of what gives you joy and even the hard parts they're still hard but hard can be joyful mm, like hard can be joyful could you just clarify you mentioned pleasure the difference that joy is not pleasure yeah uh just can you just clarify the difference between joy and pleasure just so we can be really clear about that absolutely um, I right now I'm sitting with one foot propped up because it, I had surgery six weeks ago and they had to saw two of my foot bones apart and then pin them together and then allow, allow them to fuse. And it's the only time I've ever had a doctor telling me, you will experience pain. Like usually they say there will be some discomfort and it's like then I've been hit with a hammer. They said, no, you want to stay ahead of the pain. Here are some drugs. And it was interesting. It was like having my foot shoved into a, an electrical socket and just left there for like the first week. It was a wow. continuous electrocution feeling. Wow. And it was very disconcerting. Mm-hmm. And I lay there and uh, I had my foot above my head and I was trying to get work done at the same time. Um, and I would stop and I would notice I am in so much joy right now true i was on a lot of painkillers but even when i stopped taking them so my head could be clear to do a broadcast or something i'd do it and then flop back to shaking and sweating from the pain and 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 i would be like that was awesome and i'm not that kind of person like i don't like pain but something about doing only what i absolutely loved and connecting with people that i absolutely adore even Having the pain involved, it felt like climbing a mountain. There was something, there was something sort of wild and wonderful about it, like being in a storm where you feel safe. And I just thought this joy thing, it won't give in. Even when I'm in tremendous amounts of pain, there's still this joy if I stay in integrity. 
And I really believe that I kind of believe it's a fail safe that being your whole self is a state of joy. I think animals feel it. I think my son who has Down syndrome feels it because they don't abandon themselves. And it's given me a lot of comfort about the suffering of animals and children and, and the beings who are truly themselves because pain is horrible, but it's nothing like the pain of self-abandonment. What are some of the questions that so if someone's listening to this conversation and they're, they're feeling, I might be a little out of antiquity, <laughs> feeling, I'm feeling something, mm. maybe, maybe in ways I didn't even know I was. Um, are there any questions that we can ask ourselves to, in that exploration yeah. of, of, of integrity and coming back into integrity? Right. The first step you take on the road to integrity is very small. It's very simple. You can be all by yourself. No one has to know. But you can feel yourself come online when you do it. And that is to make a true statement just to yourself about what you're really experiencing. Like, I'm not happy. I feel lost. I need help. I'm not, I'm not okay. This isn't enough. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. As long as that's true, even the statement, I'm confused, because it's true and it puts you in alignment with the truth, even though you're still confused, the part of you that has intention, the intentionality and will is now telling the truth about the confusion and immediately you'll feel more peace. So it's that statement that people make in, in 12 mm. step groups when they stand up and say, my name is whatever and I'm an alcoholic. It's like, Oh, it should be the worst news, but because it's the truth about suffering, it's, it puts you on your path to integrity and it's the best news. Mm. That's the first step I would encourage anyone to take is just get a notebook and write down what you're really feeling and then burn it if you don't want anyone to see. But notice how much peace you get in the moment you stop fighting the truth. What about, um, I know folks that, they just don't seem to be able to move past the feeling. Yeah. Like Martha, I'm, de I'm depressed and I can't, I, I can't get out of it. I can't, it, yeah. it just doesn't leave me. And, and so. I've been there. I was there for decades of my life. And what, what, what about that person? What, what, what can you say to them? What, what, what can they do when they feel they're just stuck in something? Whether it's anger, whether it's resentment, whether it's depression, what something's just stuck in an emotion. Right. I I was talking about this yesterday with one of my new great friends named Jill Bolte Taylor. She did a TED talk about losing half her brain. Yes. Do you remember this? She she had a terrible stroke. She's a Harvard neuroanatomist, and she built back the cognitive part of her brain, but she decided to leave out the bad parts. So she lives in this state of continuous joy. And, I, and it's the real deal. I really believe this. And I said to her yesterday, this woman keeps coming to all my seminars online and things, and she's always anxious. She's always anxious. And I've tried to tell her everything I could think of. And I just don't know what to say to her. And Jill was talking to me on the phone while out paddleboarding on a lake. Because I was <laughs> like, Jill lives in a boat. She only does what she wants. Like, it's exactly a life of integrity. And she said, well, have you told her to get more anxious? And I said, no, I haven't tried that yet. And she said, oh, for God's sake, tell her to get like double it, triple it. See if she can quadruple how depressed and anxious <laughs> she is. Like go for it. And she said, you'll find she can do that because that's what she's practicing. The brain has been practicing depressed over and over again. So no wonder we can't get out of it. Those neuron synapses in our brains are heavily wired together. And it's very hard to break that synapse and go to a different brain pattern. So if you ask people to actually rev it up, what they notice is that they have control over that part of the brain. And once you see that you can make it worse, then you kind of have to admit you can probably make it better. Interesting. And then you can start and could the feel it is literally physically in the brain. Whenever two synapses wire together, they go 
And they get wrapped with this fatty substance called myelin, which is just like the rubber we put around electrical wires. So there's literally an electrical connection. And the more times we think a thought and the more emotion we have, the thicker the layer around it. And the, the way we feel that is that it's easier for us to think the thought and it feels very believable and the emotion is very intense. And this can be true even if it's an absolute lie. And again, I'm not going to say things, but you can look around the world right now and see people who believe crazy stuff, but they've thought it often and they've thought it with emotion and it really feels real to them. So the challenge, if you're suffering like that, is to say somewhere in this pattern, I need to break, I need to break the circuit. So if, you know, when I was depressed, it was like, I remember this one moment when I it was like a tiny, I was looking at this gray world that I've lived in my whole life, as long as I could remember. And then I was meditating and a little point of green light appeared in the middle of this gray universe. And I just thought, I have to focus on that and nothing else. It was the only bright thing I had ever seen in my inner world. And as I watched, it was like the point of a scalpel had come through and it started to go down into a line and it was cutting the gray world, and it was falling apart like a screen. And behind it was this gorgeous landscape filled with all the people who'd ever loved me, all the good things that had ever happened to me. And it all broke through at once. And I just started to sob and sob and sob. And I saw that I had created that depression and I was able to break it. It's really hard, people, but you can do it. You really can. Were there any other steps? You said that was the first step. Were there any other steps uh, in terms of... Yeah, to get much more, like not everybody has a big, you know, vision in meditation and they're like, yeah, easy for you to say. So here's what you do. You start with, I'm not happy with what's going on. Yep. And then you say, I'm willing to learn that you. I'm willing to disbelieve anything that makes me unhappy, even if I really believe it right now. Mm. If a thought causes me to be more depressed or more anxious. My whole premise in this book is that the truth makes us feel peaceful and makes us feel calm. So the converse is true too. If a thought makes you feel unhappy, it's not true. Even if it seems dead to rights, true. So here I have this child. He's got intellectual disabilities. He'll never be, you know, a normal human being. And I'm thinking, okay, his life cannot be happy. And I believed it mm. with all my heart and soul. And I went searching for any other thought, anything that might give me a tiny flicker of light. And at one point I made up a world where he was a, a superhero in disguise. And he was wearing a sort of Clark Kent suit so that he could smuggle into the world this superpower of some sort of spiritual enormity or whatever. I was just making stuff up, Poot. And, but that story abruptly stopped my grief. Hmm. And I was like, well, damn. And then I'd see something else that would spark my grief again. I'd go back into the old circuit and I'd say, oh, I hate this. I need to get out. Okay. I have to disbelieve the thoughts that are causing all this suffering and I have to believe something different. So when Dante goes through the inferno, what I think Dante was writing about is all these demons in hell were his inner demons. And they were all screaming something that they really believed. Like, I need revenge. I need revenge. And he would stop and he would talk to them. And his teacher would say, they're lying. They're lying. Don't believe them. And he'd say, oh, but I feel sorry for them. I want to stay here until they feel better. And Virgil, the poet, would say, no, leave them. And I believe that he was leaving behind the thoughts that caused the suffering. And so the second quarter of my book is about how to do that. And um, sometimes you end up like I ended up disbelieving my religion. All right. It hurt to believe that religion. And it felt like freedom to disbelieve it, even though it cost me my community and my family. So it's, it's intense how much thoughts and beliefs cause us to suffer. And it's incredible how free we are when we're willing to disbelieve what causes our pain. Yeah. Sometimes disbelieving those thoughts can be very scary as well. You know, yeah. because it's everything we've, we've known, everything we've built our identity around. And so yeah. it takes a lot of courage. Really, yeah, it really does take some courage. 
there's something called mourning the known misery that I got from Mario Martinez, this uh, anthropologist. And it's even when a, a prisoner leaves prison, the loss of familiarity is so painful to the to the culture brain that that they have to go through a grieving process. So yeah, you set yourself free. You you leave behind the suffering, and then you have to grieve the suffering. But then the good stuff starts to happen. <laughs> Mourning the known miseries that we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah wow. grieving for the horrible life you left behind. <laughs> the way you, <laughs> when you say it that way. <laughs> can you, uh, you, you mentioned it before I asked if there's any other steps. You mentioned your son. Can I ask how old, how old your son is? He's 33. 33. Um, sounds like an amazing journey you had with him. And I'm curious, kind of when he was born and to the journey with it, what were some of the most maybe, I guess, important lesson that he taught you or that you learned in, in being his mother? So many. I mean, he is really quite metaphysical and a lot of interesting, miraculous things would happen around him. And I just had to keep those to myself. But I'll tell you a lesson that comes to mind. And this is when he was about three or four and he wasn't talking yet. And I was in a really deep grief because I had been doing all these speech therapies since he was born. And I knew that if a child doesn't talk by age two, they probably won't talk very well or perhaps at all. Wow. And I'm such a verbal person that I was so sad about this. And I took my kids. By then I had another daughter and I had one older daughter. So I had three kids. Adam was in the middle and I took them to the grocery store and we were shopping. And it was one of those days when I had no reserves. So I just promised them, please be good. And at the checkout counter, I'll get you anything you want. So we go, I'm just bad parenting. <laughs> so we go through the grocery store, we get to the checkout counter, the girls pick candy, of course. And Adam, there was a bucket of roses next to the teller and he pulled out a rose and he said, that's what I want. And he was three or four. He never talked. I, and I said, Adam, you can have anything. And I put the rose back and he took it out and put it there. So whatever, I bought it for him, put him in his little car seat. He was a very tiny little guy. And uh, he held this rose all the way home. And I forgot all about it. And then the next morning, I woke up and padding down the hall, here came Adam. He had somehow climbed up on the counters and got, he got a bud vase down. And he had put the rose in the vase. And he came up to me in his little pajamas and he held it out. And he said very clearly, here. And then he turned around and walked away. And he didn't say another word for another six months. And I always thought he was saying, here you go, H-E-R-E. -E. And it wasn't until 20 years later that I suddenly realized he was saying H-E-A-R, here. You think I'm not talking. I am talking. You're not listening. So I started listening with my inner ears and I started listening with my heart. And I started to realize that he is always communicating with me. Wow. And it blew me open. It, it made the world a very different place. Well, to listen with, with the heart and the soul. Huh? Yeah. It's and for him to do all that, I mean, I didn't know if he had two thoughts to clink together in there. And then he did this strange and wonderful thing. Are there, yeah, I wasn't going to ask this question, but it just disturbed. Are there, at, at, for, the, for the parents, listening, you mm. know, uh, are there any, what advice would you have for the parents listening? To, to be able to uh, raise their children in a way where they can keep their integrity intact. Because you were, you were saying, yeah. as, as we began the conversation, a lot of the misalignment begins yeah. from childhood, where we learn all yeah. these ways of being to get loved, be validated, be approved. We abandon ourselves, so mom, dad love us, and we're yeah. responding to our environment. So yeah. Give, Give the parents some advice. Yeah, the first thing is that only a parent in a state of, of egoic stress would cause a child to abandon itself, right? His or herself. Because when you're in complete integrity yourself, you're aligned with nature and you're just curious about what the child will do. And that's what Adam's diagnosis did for me. It set me free. My first child, I put all kinds of pressures on her, right? He was my second and I'm like, I don't know what he, it's like going to the puppy <laughs> store and getting 
a kitten and they want me to make him act like a puppy. And I'm like, I think I'm just going to watch and see what kittens naturally do. So I just let him grow up as himself. So in that instance, I came into my own integrity. I abandoned everything I'd been told about how to raise a child because this child was different. And I just let myself see what he was and, and let that unfold. So I, as I come more and more into my own integrity, I think all my children benefit because I have less and less incentive to pressure them. I'm just happy in my own space and curious to see where their happy space is. And, uh, and then the second thing is just to ignore the pressure you get from other people about what you're doing with your children. Like that is the single thing that makes parents torture their children more than anything else. You know, the, the teachers are mad at me because of the way you're acting. Uh, and so, you know, we become these vehicles of cultural pressure that are focused on these children with laser intensity. And we've messed up the whole world and they know it. They're like, really, seriously, you're going to make me behave this way. And you've ruined the world by behaving that way. And now you want, you're going to give me this world and then tell me to keep doing that. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, they they know better than we do. <laughs> so ask them, talk to them, tell, you know, don't let them run into the street without looking, but sit down and say, why are you thinking about this? What is it? What is your opinion? What would you like to do? Just the mm. way you do with yourself. Mm. And if you bring yourself into your integrity, they will follow you into their integrity. If you bring yourself into your integrity, they will follow you into their integrity. Yep. Not into yours, not into anyone else's, just theirs. Powerful. Powerful. How do you, how do you, um, after all this time of teaching and writing, you know, interviews and being on Oprah and different things, how do you stay, I guess, inspired? Mm. You know? Yeah. Where you're not, let's just say, regurgitating the same thing all the time, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I see teachers, certain teachers kind of lose, I guess, lose their integrity because either they're not evolving and they're mm. just parroting the same thing or, mm. or, or kind of staying where the audience expects them to stay mm. versus the truth of what their soul is kind of seeking to, to guide them to because, oh shit, uh, how will, <laughs> how, how will I grow my audience? How will I succeed? How will I survive? Yeah. And so I'm just curious, after all these years, how do you stay inspired and, and in that alignment, you know, as a teacher, as, as a, as a, as a inspirer yourself? I think it helps that I have extreme ADD. <laughs> like I can't focus <laughs> on the same thing for two days in a row. But no, I, I was talking to Jill Bolte-Taylor about this the other day, and I've talked to other people that I consider to be really advanced spiritually. And they all say, when you relax into your own joy, you, you're in this peaceful space until something hooks you by the heart, like a fish hook, but not painful. And it just pulls you towards something. And you're so surprised. It's like, oh, look what I'm doing now. And that's what uh -huh. writing this book was like. I had decided not to write any more books because my daughters were saying, why do you keep writing the same book over and over? Mm -hmm. And I was doing it for exactly the reasons you state. That's what publishers wanted, whatever paid the rent. And I just thought, no, nope, no more, never again. And then this book was like, no, write about Dante and integrity. And I was like a shot out of a cannon and it was hard and it was joyful and it was delightful. And then I did a lot of podcasts right when the book first came out. So that was a few months ago. And then one day I woke up and all I wanted to do was paint. And so I just worked on this painting. I had this obsessive idea for a painting and that's all I cared about for the next few weeks. And then it was like, and, and now I'm going to read everything you've just written about how to make engineering innovations. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. Something is pulling me through life by the heart and by the mind. And I feel like a little kid and it's so absorbing as like, um, attention is our fascination is attention without effort. And what I found is that when you let go of all you let go of the sides of the river and you just let the river take you and the river is peace it's also adventurous and fun and it takes you around bends and curves and anything it brings you to say well all right then <laughs> 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 i'm gonna lie on my bed with my foot pinned together for six weeks 
It was amazing. I'm so glad I did it. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's so cool. I mean, how much control do we have over our lives? Do you, None. You know, uh, because we you don't have any. In, in the self-help world, you hear so often, you create your life, you're in control of everything, you manifest yeah. it, just thinking it's going to appear. And so, like, and then you get hit by a bus. Exactly. <laughs> I, do, I do think that the integral self, the, the, the true self is making reality because here's the thing. Like if one of the things I was obsessed with reading, a lot of people do these days, is quantum mechanics. And for to, to understand Dante's Paradiso, I read all the latest layman's physics on quantum mechanics. Mm. And the 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 best bit we have in terms of science right now is to believe that everything is just wave energy and everything is governed by one grand equation and nothing is separate from it. So this solid matter is just a form of energy. Uh, light is a form of energy. Ideas are a form of energy. When you think you're going to climb Mount Delectable, you're splitting off your little bit of energy and trying to do something that was created by non-reality, by culture. And you don't get very far. But when you start to become the energy you are, and that's what happens to Dante when he's, he's living his complete truth, he just basically becomes light in a place of light. And it appears that he's moving, but the angels tell him, no, 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 at the speed of light, there is no time. And you can be every place at once. I mean, Dante in 1324 was talking about quantum physics and he wasn't just guessing. He got that from somewhere. So what happens is in total integrity in the brain, and this is considered something, it is measurable and detectable and scientists can see it. When you experience the feeling called enlightenment in, in Asia, the parts of the brain that feel like a separate self and the parts of the brain that feel like control disappear. They go completely quiet. So you lose your sense of self and you lose your sense of control and you become part of the wave. You know that you have always been nothing but part of the great wave energy of the universe. And it is indeed planning all things and creating all things. And to see that out of one set of human eyes is the greatest miracle there is. That sounds, to me, that sounds like a ultimate integrity, you know, to come yeah. to that one, that oneness with that source, with that energy, with life, the oneness of life. When I heard that enlightenment was supposed to be a space beyond suffering and that people have gotten there, I became obsessed with it. And i and the brain science of it and the, the accounts from all around the world, Dante, but people in all parts of the world, all through history, have experienced this measurable thing. And biologists say we are not only capable of it, we are biologically predestined to seek it. And that's at the end of integrity is this. And I don't think I'm there yet, but just to see the light getting brighter is phenomenal. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Martha, you're definitely shining. Sure. <laughs> you are too, Kurt. I love really talking shining. to you. It's been a beautiful conversation. I mean, so much has been shared. And just thank you for your generosity and your heart and your playfulness and your authenticity and your integrity just shining <laughs> through. Uh, what's what's the best way people can find out about the book? Obviously, it's available on, what, on Amazon. On right Amazon, now. yeah. And, or and, and, and people find out about your work as well. And so what's your yeah, best website? Yeah, at marthabeck.com. I have a website, so you can go there. And um, and and Twitter and Instagram and all those other places, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Folks, you heard it. Martha, marthabeck.com will put uh, the link in the show notes, The Way of Integrity. Thank uh, you so Martha's much. Martha's new book. Folks, I encourage you all to check it out. Uh, it's a powerful book indeed. And all of her amazing books, they're, they're, they're really inspiring. Uh Folks, send me an email, Blackson at kooplaxon.com. I would love to hear your key takeaways from today's episode. Make sure you uh, write a comment on what you receive from this episode. Uh, also, uh, share this episode with everyone in your life that you love. I think it's particularly powerful, especially now with everything going on in the world. Martha, it's been a joy. Is there a final message you just want to share with, with, with everyone, a final oh, thought? My The only thought in my mind right now is that when Coot wakes up in the nighttime and he yearns for service, that is coming to him in 
all, in every way possible. You are doing such an amazing thing in the world and that you, you shine. And I love being near you because it makes the light brighter for me. Thank you. Thank you for being a blessing. Folks, the amazing, amazing, amazing Martha Beck author of The Way of Integrity. Sending you love, everyone. I'll catch you next week. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.